Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Church and uh, how Northgate continues to grow as it does now with the second campus in Vallejo. And, um, and very often, um, when I'm asked that question, certainly the grace of God, absolutely. But the second thing I think about it is the people. That really, the reason that Northgate continues to grow and and function as it does is really because of the people, particularly those who serve in ministry around here. I don't know if you know this or not, but it takes somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 70 volunteers every weekend to provide all of the ministries that go on on our campus here, both in Benicia and in Vallejo. And, um, And some of them get here like 6.45 in the morning to start setting up and getting things ready and sound checks and technical stuff worked out. And and a special shout out to our Vallejo team. Um, They get there two hours before the service starts just to set that place up um, because there's a whole building um, next door to the theater that we use for our children's ministry. And that means setting up the whole rooms because it's not set up for us every week. So there's like all these people who are here early, early to get things set up just so we can celebrate together in our worship services. And it's that spirit of, of, of servanthood and serving and volunteerism that I think makes Northgate such a special place. And it's one of those things from the very, very beginning that we have always said that every member is a minister, that we believe that every Christ follower is shaped to serve, that that's what Christ calls us to. That is, that is our calling as followers of his. And, and if you have not discovered what happens when you serve, let me just encourage you, um, as we're going to look at today in the Gospel of John, how powerful it is for you and for the people that you serve when you step up and serve. Um, we are in the Gospel of John, and we're looking together um, at just the life of Jesus. And, and John says at the beginning of his Gospel, if you want to know God, get to know Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you will move in the direction of Jesus, whether or not you're a full-on follower or not, if you will just move in his directions, you will get to know God. And what Jesus introduced to us that no one had ever thought of before, no one had ever seen before, is that our God is a God who serves. And the passage we're going to look at today is a perfect example of that. It actually is at the very end of Jesus' ministry. It's on the last night that he spends with his followers. In fact, the last five chapters or so of the book of uh, the Gospel of John are just concentrated on that last 48 hours. So we're going to pick up the story, John chapter 13, if you want to follow along. And this is what John writes, beginning in verse 1. That it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that had been wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. 
Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he had said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus had spent three years with these guys and had taught them a lot and had shown them by example a lot of things about serving. And yet when it comes to this last night, there's something more that he needs to teach them because this is his last opportunity. This is kind of like his final instructions, if you will. And as they've gathered around the table, he says, boy, there's still some things you don't get yet. And in this act of washing their feet, what he was doing was not just showing them up. What he was really doing was expressing his love for them and letting them know this is what you have been called to do. This is what it looks like to be a follower of mine. It's a life of serving. And it's not just the act of serving. It's the servant's heart. And that's what I think he's portraying there. And I think it's something that every one of us needs to learn an awful lot about it. So today I want to kind of talk about what are the characteristics of a servant's heart? What does that look like for you and for me? And I think there's some really key things here that we can find as Jesus unfolds this washing of their feet. And I think the first thing, it starts with this, that one of the key characteristics of a servant's heart is this idea of identity, that I need to know who I am in Christ. When I am in Christ, when I become a follower of his, it changes my identity. That I am a different person now. And, and that identity is the key to understanding this whole idea of servanthood. Um, you've probably heard of the idea of a, a pecking order. Um, I told you a couple weeks ago about my adventures with my daughter's chickens. Um, she has decided to raise chickens. She wants fresh eggs. They're the most expensive eggs right now that are going on the planet. But, um, so she's, she's raising these chickens, and um, I've, had, I've been learning an awful lot about chickens. I'd heard about pecking order. I had never seen it in action. But one of her chickens was like the top chicken, and he was making it known to all the other chickens. So much so, he was just pecking at them like till they were bleeding. I mean, this, yeah, I mean, so much so that they had to get rid of that chicken. He was just too much of a bully. But there is this whole idea of a pecking order that the, that the dominant chicken will start pecking at all the others to, to set his place in rank as the top chicken. And of course, after him, there's got to be a second place, lieutenant chicken. And so he picks on everybody else except the top chicken. And then the next guy picks on the next one and on the way down. And no one wants to be at the bottom of the pecking order. Because it's no fun when you're getting pecked on and you don't get anybody to peck on yourself. <laughs> so the thing is there, is, there is a pecking order in every one of us. They were constantly kind of sizing each other up and trying to fit, where do I fit in the order here? And, and Jesus' disciples, they were not immune from this either. They had their own little pecking order going on. In fact, on numerous occasions, if you read through the Gospels, over and over again, you have them having this argument and dispute about who's the greatest among them. And on at least three different occasions recorded in the Gospels, they had this argument. And Jesus always has to keep setting them straight. Like the greatest among you 
is the servant of all, the greatest among you, unless you become like this little child. You will not be great in the kingdom of God because this is what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. And, and on, in fact, it got so bad, actually, that James and John's mother, okay? James and John's mother went to Jesus to ask him to make them the greatest, her two sons. It's like, how embarrassing is that? You're a grown adult and your mom has to go and ask Jesus to make you great, all right? That's just like totally embarrassing. But that's what was going on. It was constantly going on. In fact, Luke in his gospel says that the latest version of this dispute about greatness among all of them happened at the Last Supper. Just after Jesus had had this very tender moment about this is my body broken for you and this is, this is my, my blood shed for you. Just after that moment, we explained what was all going to happen and, and this, this thing that he was setting for all of his disciples to follow for centuries that we continue to do today. At the very end of that very moment, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And we're not all that different. We all have our own sense of the pecking order, sizing ourselves up and comparing ourselves with the people around us. Where do I fit? Am I the smartest? Am I the prettiest? Am I the strongest? And we all have this little pecking order thing that's going on in our head. Dallas Willard, um, the writer of uh, a number of books, one of them called The Spirit of the Disciplines, a story is told about him. He actually was a professor of philosophy at USC. And, um, and in one of his classroom settings, uh, there was actually one of the students um, who was really in a dispute with him. And, and actually, the student was wrong, okay? And, and he wrote, you know, rose up and he was making upset, uh, um exceptions to what Dallas Willard was teaching and and it was kind of towards the end of the season and he just stopped and he said you know this is probably a good place to end our discussion for the day and one of the other students who knew that this other guy was just way off base came to him afterwards and he says why didn't you put him in his place man you knew the right answer you could have just shot him down you could have put him in his place Dallas Willard said I am practicing the discipline of not having the last word it's an idea of humility he was confident in who he was. He didn't have to prove anything. Jesus was confident in who he was. If you read about it, verse 1, it says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up and washed their feet. Now, one, again, this word so is, is so important. He's saying, it's because he knew who he was. It's because he knew the power he had. It's because he knew that his time was short. Jesus knew confidently who he was, what his mission was, why he was there, and what he was supposed to do. And because of that, he didn't have to prove himself to anybody. He is the one person who knew where he stood at the pecking order, and he didn't have to assert it from the top. He got up, and he served his followers. Because he knew who he was. See, washing their feet was not an exception to the rule for Jesus. He had spent his whole life and ministry serving other people. He didn't care about his reputation. He hung out with the kind of people that nobody would hang out with. He got this reputation of being a a, a drunkard and, and a glutton and a friend of sinners. And he didn't care. See, it was his whole life and ministry was to serve. Because he knew who he was. And for you and for me, servanthood starts with knowing who we are in Christ. 
that there's no pecking order in the kingdom of God, that we are all saved by his grace. And grace means we are all equally loved and all equally important. And it has to start with identity. Jesus put it this way. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I know who I am. Know who you are. Starts with identity. Second characteristic is this idea of intentionality. Intentionality is that I need to act on the opportunities around me. That, that, that servanthood doesn't happen by accident. It really is a choice. It, it's a behavior. It's an action. And every one of us has that choice. If you look at this setting, every one of those disciples had the opportunity to do the foot washing. Now, if you don't know, let me tell you a little bit about the history. So back then, they didn't have shoes and socks. Everybody pretty much wore sandals or they went around barefoot. And they would walk very dusty, dirty roads. They would sometimes cut through the fields where the sheep had been grazing and doing other stuff, okay? So when it came to sit down at the table, and you didn't sit at a table, nice table and chairs, nice dinette set, okay? You sat at a very low table, pretty much reclining head to foot. So Bill Heibel says, kind of imagine yourself in a two-way mirror, okay, looking at this scene from the outside and watching the disciples walk in through the door. And everyone walks through the door and they look down and they see the pitcher and they see the basin, but they also see there's only so many seats around the table. And they all want to be the greatest. So they're trying to figure out, okay, where is Jesus going to sit? Because I want to sit close to him. And so there's a chance that, okay, we need to wash our feet, and that, but that's a servant's job, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the servant here. So they don't stop, and, and maybe, maybe some of the thinking was, if I stop and wash my own feet, then everybody's going to expect me to wash theirs as well, and I'm not going to wash anybody else's feet. Maybe, maybe they're trying to get that right seat at the table, and, and James and John, they already got their seats picked out on each side of where Jesus is going to sit, and I don't want to miss out on my opportunity. Whatever the reason, none of them stopped to wash their own feet, much less anybody else's feet. And it says that the meal is in progress, okay? This meal has gone on. They've been sitting there head to foot with the other guy's stinky feet in their face the whole meal, and nobody has thought to get up and even wash their own feet, and Jesus waits. He just waits, Maybe one of them is going to step up. The opportunity is there. Any one of them could do it, and none of them do. And finally, it's Jesus. They have been arguing about greatness, but nobody understands what that means. So Jesus is going to show them. He's told them all along. He's explained to them what it looks like. Now he's going to show them. So it says he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, Wrapped the towel around his waist. Now, I love the way that John tells the story because he's very deliberate. Each step, it's like Jesus kind of took his time doing this. Gets up from the table. Now, I wonder, I wonder what they're all thinking. Where's he going? Did I say something? What's going on? He gets up and he goes over to the doorway where the basin and, and, the, and the little pitcher of water is sitting. What's he going to do? And then he comes over, pours the water into the basin. And it goes on. John says, after he poured the water into the basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What are they thinking? I mean, put yourself in that situation. You know 
You could have done this. Why didn't you? Confused, embarrassed, maybe a little ashamed. One by one, Jesus washes each of their feet. What his words have been trying to get across to them for the last three years didn't sink in. And so now he's showing them. Not just telling them about it, he's showing. And and they're not just watching now from the sidelines. He is personally washing each of their feet. He's demonstrating greatness. Mother Teresa said, we cannot do great things for God. We can only do small things with great love. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's showing them something that's very, very important. And and here's the thing. He's not so much concerned about what they're thinking, but more about what they're learning. Because servanthood is the calling for each one of them. They say, this is the life that I've called you to. This is what it means to be a follower. And for them and for us, the lesson is the same. To be a follower of Jesus is to be the servant. It's to pick up that servant's towel and find an opportunity and make use of the opportunities. Because real servants recognize opportunities. They see the needs around them and then they act on them. And when you do, something happens in you. It's been a number of studies done. University of Michigan, University of um, British Columbia, UC Berkeley. There's been a number of studies, a number of universities who have done some studies most recently about what happens when people serve, when people volunteer, when people give, when people are generous, all of these things. And what they have found is there is actually physical benefits to the person who does the volunteering, who does the serving. They have found in study after study that that actually what happens is when you serve, your body releases oxytocin, which is a natural high. It's why you feel better when you've done something for somebody else. They also found out that, that what happens is when you are under stress, when you're under stress, your body releases cortisol. But your body cannot produce cortisol and oxytocin at the same time. So when you are serving, you're actually reducing stress and you're increasing feelings of well-being. They have found that people who serve even just one hour a week actually live happier lives and healthier lives. That people, they did a study in in older adults and found out that people who volunteered and served on a regular basis, actually, they tracked them over a number of years, actually lived longer than those who didn't volunteer and serve. So I thought another motto we might have around here is serve or die. (laughs) Because the best way to live is to serve. It turns out, it turns out that God so created our bodies that we were created to serve, that we actually benefit from it. Not just the people that we serve benefit, but we ourselves benefit. In fact, some studies have indicated just thinking about serving creates some of that um, oxytocin to be released in your body. Not as much as when you actually do something, but, but just thinking about it gets you moving in the right direction. So it means being aware of the opportunities, recognizing the needs, and then acting on them. One of the things that we do when we uh, do our short-term mission trips to Uganda is um, we usually schedule at least one 
widow's spa day. And these are women who have lost their husbands. They've usually got five, six, maybe seven or more kids. Some of them have taken in other orphans into their home. And, and they are the sole providers now. And they work in the fields, often barefoot. And what we do is we have a widow's spa day. And they get, they get to sit in a, in a circle around the room. And every one of us gets a widow. And, um, and they get uh, a soda and, and a basin. And we pour water into that. And we wash their feet and massage. We get them a pedicure and a manicure. And I got to be honest with you. The very first time I did it, it was really awkward. <laughs> I actually volunteered to go fetch the water so I didn't have to go and actually wash somebody's feet. But I did it anyway, and it felt really weird and really just uncomfortable. But when it was over, and to see the look on these women's face who have never been cared for like this in their life just changed everything inside of me. Now it's the thing I look forward to most when we go there. Because it does something inside of you. God hardwired you and me to serve. He said, this is the best way to live. It's good for your health. It's good for your longevity. It's good for your happiness in life. And it benefits other people as well. Imagine, imagine the impact if every one of us made a decision for at least one week to just look for and be aware of opportunities and then to actually act on them. Imagine, imagine if every Christ follower worldwide, just for one week, would choose to look for opportunities to serve, recognize needs, and then act on them. Talk about changing the way people view the church. See, that's what we are called to. But we need to be confident in who we are in Christ, that, 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 that serving other people doesn't lessen me in any way. Serving other people is not going to result in me taking, being taken advantage of, that I'm actually doing the work of Christ in this world, and then looking for those opportunities and acting on them. But that takes one more thing, and it is humility. Because to act with a servant's heart means I need to surrender my pride and my own self-interest. I've got to quit looking out for number one. See, here's the thing. If it's so rewarding, and if it is so vital to our, our discipleship and followers as followers of Jesus, why don't we do it more readily? One word. Pride. I think that is the number one thing that keeps us from truly serving, and it's something that is everybody's struggle. That, that there's this sense that, and I know this in myself, when I do something good, I want to be noticed. <laughs> when I do something for somebody else, I want to be appreciated. When I do something good for somebody else, I am very much aware of what I'm doing. And I also start comparing myself to the people around me like they're not living up to what they should be doing. It is deeply ingrained in all of us. And, we, and that's why we've got to get past that pride and take on humility. Comes to Simon Peter. And he comes to Simon and he says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, this is totally inappropriate, Lord. I mean, I know everybody else is letting you do this, but I'm going to take a stand here. I'm going to show everybody, you will never wash my feet. All these other guys, yeah, maybe they're happy with this, but I know my place. You know, and, and it's kind of a, a false, false humility. 
Jesus said, Lord, if I, if Peter, if I do not wash your feet, if I don't do this, then you have no part in me. And the pride is still there. So his answer is, well, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Okay, if, 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 if this is the thing that I need, then, then I want everybody to know I got it all. <laughs> and, and you know, you can tell it's a pride issue because of the pronoun. It's my feet, my head, my hands. See, that's, that's how you can kind of recognize pride. When all your pronouns are I, me, and mine, <laughs> that's a pretty good indicator. Still all about Peter. And what Jesus is trying to get across to him is, no, 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 you, don't, you had a bath, okay? We just got to take care of this, this one little thing. And it's not about you. It's about me. John Ortberg puts it this way. At the deepest level, pride is the choice to exclude both God and other people from their rightful place in our hearts. Pride destroys our capacity to love. And as subtle as pride can be, humility can be just as elusive. The moment I think I am doing really well at this humility thing is the moment I have lost it. C.S. Lewis says this way, if I think that I am not prideful, if I begin to think that I am not prideful, then I am very much prideful indeed. It is very elusive, this, this pride and humility thing. And it comes from just letting go of myself. He says, if I don't do this, you have no part in me. In other words, this is a deal breaker, Peter. If you don't get this, then you don't get me. And you don't get what these last three years have been all about. And you don't get what it is that you're supposed to do from here on out. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Imagine the impact if we took that seriously. Bill Hybels, in his book, The Volunteer Revolution, writes about his mentor and teacher, uh, Dr. Belazikian. He gave them this challenge. It says he challenged us to put those words to the test. For six months, he said, take the great gamble. Follow the model of Jesus with reckless abandon. Take advantage of every opportunity to serve, even if it seems like something insignificant. Be the one who opens the door for others. Choose the back seat of the car so your friend can sit in the front. Take out the garbage, even though it's not usually your job. Volunteer to stack the chairs after a meeting. Take the arm of an elderly woman negotiating the stairs in a department store. Open your eyes. Keep your servant's towel handy. Monitor the condition of your heart week to week. Then ask yourself, am I gaining or losing? And if you want to, he said, try it the other way. Every chance you have, put yourself in the center. Be demanding. Ask the world to revolve around you. Push your way to the front of the line. Disappear when it's time to do the dirty work, the menial tasks. Bow low every morning in front of that full-length mirror. Then step back and honestly assess. Are you becoming closer to God and people or more isolated? Is your life fuller or emptier? Do you feel fulfilled or frustrated? Take the great gamble. Those of us at the core of that little youth ministry called Sun City decided to accept Dr. B's challenge. And at the end of six months, we had grown from a few students to hundreds. More importantly, our hearts for God 
and the people around us had significantly enlarged. The reason Christ calls us to serve isn't just so that the needs of people around us will be met. That's a big part of it, but it's not just that. It's what happens in us when we serve. Let me give you a word of warning. It's much easier to talk about servanthood than to actually do it. It's much easier to sit and hear about serving than it is to actually do it. And that's why Jesus ended with this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Would you bow your heads with me? And in Vallejo, as we take this time to, to um, respond to this message, uh, your campus host is there to also acknowledge you. And here in Benicia, let me just ask you, if I asked you today, who is one person that you could serve? Who comes to mind? My guess is there's probably somebody that you know, somebody in your sphere of influence, somebody maybe in your family who needs some help right now and you have the abilities, you have the resources, you could do something there. I believe that's what God calls us to. The only way you develop a servant's heart is by choosing to develop the servant's heart. To actually start doing something and let go of your pride Forget about the pecking order. And just begin to say yes. Now maybe it's not one specific person comes to mind. Maybe it's, maybe it's serving in the community. Maybe it's serving here in your church family. But here's the challenge I want to give to you today. At least for this next week, if not the next six months. Will you take that servanthood challenge? Would you be willing to say, God, wherever you could use me, I'm available. Open my eyes to see those opportunities and nudge me and give me the strength to actually act on them. And if you're here today and you know of a situation where your resources and your abilities and your gifts and your talents could meet a need, if you're here today and you know of someone who could use your help and you've kind of been holding back, but but God's nudging you now and saying, you know what, you're the one. Would you be willing to say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. If you're willing to do that, I want to pray for you and pray with you as you make this a decision. Would you just raise your hand? We do this every week. Just indicate, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, great. All over. Vallejo as well. Great. There is nothing more fulfilling. There is nothing more rewarding than knowing that you have been the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody else. Make that commitment and follow through with it. Now, maybe you're here today and, and you, it really for you, it starts with a relationship with him because you've never really turned your life over to him. This, this whole servanthood thing is so foreign to you and maybe you're good at helping out every once in a while, but, but a lifestyle of servanthood, that's something that takes something more. It's something you can't do on your own. But you're willing today to say, God, I'm giving you my life. Because you see, within 48 hours of this event, Jesus went ahead and not just laid down his robe, 
He laid down his life on a cross so that we could find forgiveness, we could find fulfillment, we could find redemption and restoration for our lives. And if you've never experienced that today, you can take a first step of faith. And it's just a willingness to say, God, I need you in my life. I need to turn over my life into your care. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need a fresh start. And if you've never done that before, but today you want to take that first step of faith, same thing, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment? Look up, catch my eye. I want to acknowledge you and pray with you and for you as we close. All right. So, Lord, we want to live those significant lives. We want to live lives that that are meaningful and purposeful. We want to live lives where you can use us. And a number of us today have raised our hands just saying, that's a change that needs to take place in me. I am willing to take on that challenge. God, would you take us as we are? And would you open our eyes to see those opportunities and then give us that nudge that we need to actually step up and serve? And for those who've raised a hand saying, this is a first step of faith for me. Just in this moment as they come to you and say, God, I need my life to change and I can't change it on my own. I need your forgiveness. I need your restoration. I need your grace. Turning my life into your hands. Just in that simple prayer, God, take and work and move by your power. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.